This program has been made possible through the support of Cruise, driving cities forward through their autonomous vehicle development. Learn more about how Cruise is transforming the future of transportation through improving our cities by building safe, shared, and all-electronic self-driving cars. Visit them online at getcruise.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon. You have come to the American Council of Blind Lions session entitled Helen Keller and the Lions. Welcome. We're so glad you're here, and we hope that you enjoy this presentation. ACB Lions, of course, is an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and we are presenting several sessions at this year's convention. We hope that you attended our session yesterday and our Millie's Place 50th anniversary celebration on Monday evening. Just a reminder that uh, when you register for ACB Lions as part of your registration process, you will receive one of our complimentary 50-year anniversary pins. So if you haven't registered for ACB Lions yet, you can go to your registration form or contact the Minnesota office at 612-332-3242 and ask them to add that registration to your um, to your registration form. And you will be not only in on the, um, have the opportunity to receive that pin, but you will be in on our door prize drawings as well. That will be held after the close of the convention. I want to thank Danette Dixon for being our host today for this session. And John Gassman is streaming for us. And we certainly appreciate all their help. We still have attendees coming in, but we're going to go ahead and get started. And um, we we hope that you enjoy it. Danette, would you please give our opening CE code today for the continuing ed and professional development hours? Yes, I'd be happy to. The opening code is 79567. Again, it is 79567. Good. And Danette, would you also give information on how people can raise their hands uh, Mm -hmm. or unmute if you ask them to so we can make sure we have that at the beginning here? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. To raise your hand. It's Alt-Y on a PC. It's Alt-Y on a Mac. It's Options-Y on your cell phone. It's in the lower raise hand button is in the bottom on the low in the middle. And on the landline, it's star nine. When I give you permission to unmute, it is on the computer. It's Alt-A on the Mac. It's Command-Shift-A on the smartphone. Once you get that to the saying that the host would like you to unmute, it's in the lower left-hand corner. And on the landline, it's star six. Okay. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Today, as you know, we're going to be talking about Helen Keller and the Lions. We've often heard that Helen Keller challenged, challenged the Lions nearly 100 years ago to be Knights of the Blind. And for a lot of people, that's all they know. It's those four words, but there's a lot more to it than that. Excuse me. And Mike Hudson, the director of the 
Museum at the American Printing House, <clears throat> excuse me, director of the museum at the American Printing House for the Blind, is here with us today to tell us more about this story. Uh, we have heard so much about the presentations that he has made to some Lions Clubs, and we know that we're all going to enjoy this. So, Mike, welcome to the session, and uh, we're looking forward to your remarks. And so the time is now yours. Thank you very much, Carla. I um, want to say hello to all you AC beers uh, from uh, Lexington, Kentucky. It's nice and sunny here. It's a great day to talk a little history. So uh, uh, as Carla mentioned, uh, over, the, over the last 15, 16 months, while we've all been struggling with the COVID restrictions and and uh, people not being able to get together, uh, I was invited by a number of Lions Clubs across the country to do various presentations. And of course, I always included a little bit of, of history of, about Helen Keller and the Lions Clubs. And that all has arisen because back in January of 2020, uh, myself and our Helen Keller archivist, Justin Gardner, went up to Long Island and brought back the American Foundation for the Blind Helen Keller Archive to our museum in Louisville, Kentucky. And so for the past 16 months, well, almost uh, more than that, really, we've been um, perusing through it, going through it, inventorying it, describing it, um, just this amazing detritus of Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan Macy's career uh, and, uh, and and finding out all kinds of, 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 of I guess, deeper understanding of the backstory behind uh, what we all think we know about Helen Keller. Um, and a lot of it ends up being myth. And, and then a lot of it, the truth ends up being even more interesting than the myth. But so we've been thinking a lot about Helen and Annie and and of course, the, their interaction with the Lions Club is really important. So what I'm going to do for about the next 30, 35 minutes is just kind of walk through that story with you. And then at the end, we'll take we'll, we'll have some time left and we'll take some questions. Now, bear in mind that every time you tell a story, you know, it all starts with once upon a time, of course, right? Things were different than they are today. And uh, a number of, of uh, a lot of some of what I'm going to talk about, some of you all may be very familiar with and some of it may be new to you. So um, let's just start with that little disclaimer. Some of this is going to be familiar. So the Lions Club is founded in 1917, essentially, in Chicago by a fellow named Melvin Jones. Jones is, well, he owns an insurance agency, and he's the member of a local business circle, like some of you may be members now. And the functions of this business circle and Jones' uh, business career just starts to ring a little hollow to him. Um, he is looking for a cause, a purpose. He wants to do something bigger. And he has this personal code. Um, you can't get very far until you start doing something for somebody else. And he comes up with this idea that the club's members, his, his business circle, they're really talented people, that they should be using those talents to serve the community. 
And so he starts contacting other similar types of business and community groups around the United States. And those groups send representatives uh, to several meetings that happen in 1917, culminating in them adopting a constitution that adopts as the Lions Club's main tenet, quote, unselfish service to others, unquote. And they just start recruiting chapters, basically basically bringing in other clubs all around the country, uh, but incorporating them into this, the Lions Club. And uh, club, uh, it's, so they quickly start growing uh, they and they go international just a few years later in 1920 uh, when they uh, opened the first uh, Lions, Lions Club in, in Ontario, Canada. Um, and uh, today, well, at least uh, uh, from the Lions Club website, January 2020, there are 46,000 local clubs scattered all over the world in more than 200 countries with more than 1.4 million members. It just explodes. This idea of Melvin Jones, turns out there's a big appetite amongst a lot of uh, people out there to, to serve their communities. So that's the Lions Club, right? So then there's the American Foundation for the Blind, right? So the AFB this year is celebrating its 100th anniversary, its centennial. And AFB is founded in 1921. And much of the foundation's early work ends up being paid for directly out of the pocket of one man, M.C. Miguel, Moses Charles Miguel. He is AFB's first president. He is a wealthy silk merchant, and his uh, silk business is making so much money hand over fist that he has withdrawn from management of his business and has turned his attention much as Melvin Jones had to public service, specifically in Miguel's case, service to people who are blind or visually impaired. But they know at AFB that they are not going to be able to rely on MC Miguel for the rest of all time. So a lot of what they are concerned about in their early meetings is how to finance their work long term. Now, asked about it, uh, an influential early educator, Charles F. F. Campbell, who later goes to work for AFB, in, uh, in 1921, he was director of the Detroit League for the Handicapped. He writes, quote, I have felt very heavily that the most practical method of raising money is to avail oneself of the services of Miss Helen Keller and her teacher, unquote. And AFB did just that. Uh, of course, Helen Keller is the most famous blind, the most famous disabled person anywhere in the world. You know, from the time that uh, Annie Sullivan starts writing back to the Perkins School in 1887 of, about her successes with uh, Helen in Tuscumbia, Alabama. The story is being uh, broadcast all over the world, first by newspapers and magazines, and then by radio and film. And, and Helen is just a very famous person. She has gone on the Broadway, I mean, the uh, vaudeville circuit. 
And so she's, she's well known. And so AFB sets up a series of meetings with Helen Keller, Annie Sullivan, and potential donors around New Jersey in the spring of 1924. Now, AFB is, of course, headquartered in New York. So they send Helen and Annie and a representative uh, from AFB. It changed from meeting to meeting and usually a musician, a blind violinist or a piano player, so a musician, popular musician. And they would sit down and and uh, they would show up in a city and usually there would be a tea with a bunch of wealthy ladies. And then they would have a big public meeting at whatever the largest hall in the city was. And then later they would have some kind of a parlor event. And the results were pretty impressive. At uh, those seven meetings that they set up uh, in, in, in 1924, Keller spoke to over 10,000 people and raised about $8,000. And so uh, this was a, 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 you know, although Helen had, had, uh, had been speaking in front of people uh, for a long time, this was a new experience for her. To, to go in and ask people for money, right? And so uh, this is how she remembered it. This is Helen Keller, quote, I do not know a more disturbing sensation than that of being ceremoniously ushered into the presence of a company of strangers who are also celebrities, especially if you have physical limitations which make you different. As a rule, when I'm introduced to such people, they are excessively conscious of my limitations. When they try to talk to me and find that their words have to be spelled into my hand, their tongues cleave to the roof of their mouths and they become speechless. And I am quite as uncomfortable as they are. Even now, where people are gathered, I say little beyond explaining patiently that I am not Annette Kellerman, and just to intercede, Annette Kellerman was a champion swimmer of the day. Uh, I am not Annette Kellerman, that I do not play the piano and have not learned to sing. I assure them that I know day is not night and that it is no more necessary to have raised letters on the keys of my typewriter than for them to have the keys of their piano lettered. I become quite expert in simulating interest in absurdities that are told me about other blind people. And putting on my Job-like expression, I tell them blind people are like other people in the dark, that fire burns them and cold chills them, and they like food when they are hungry and drink when they are thirsty, that some of them like one lump of sugar in their tea and others more, unquote. But confident and impressed by their own success, Anne Sullivan Macy presses the American Foundation for the Blind to pursue a more ambitious goal, to raise a $2 million endowment and do it immediately. And AFB eventually agrees, sending Helen Keller and Anne Sullivan Macy on a 53-city tour over seven months in 1924 in 1925, and they deliver 139 speeches on that seven-month tour. And that tour 
leads Helen and Annie to Sandusky, Ohio in June of 1925 to speak to the still very young Lions Club International Annual Convention. And this is Helen's speech. Dear Lions, I suppose you have heard the poetic legend which represents opportunity as a capricious lady who knocks at every door but once, and if the door isn't open quickly, she passes on, never to return. And that is as it should be. Lovely, desirable ladies won't wait. You have to go out and grab them. I am your opportunity, clothed in visibility. I am knocking at your door. I want to be adopted. The legend doesn't say what you're to do when several beautiful opportunities present themselves at the same door. I guess you are to choose the one you love best. I hope you will choose me. I am the youngest, and the opportunity I offer you is full of splendid possibilities of service. The American Foundation for the Blind is only four years old. It grew out of the imperative needs of the blind and was called into being by the sightless themselves. It is national and international in scope and importance. It represents the best and most enlightened thought on our problems that has been reached so far. It embodies a new idea in our work, unity of effort, which is scientific and modern. It will render impartial assistance to all classes of the blind. It will make the efforts of local organizations more effective, more fruitful in results. The time has come to regard the work for the sightless as a whole, in which the kindergarten, the school, the library, the workshop, the home for the aged blind and prevention are seen to be parts of a great movement with one end in view, namely making life more worth living for the blind everywhere. Besides the young blind for whom existing institutions are supposed to provide, there is a large class of men and women who lose their sight when it is too late for them to go to school. Those who are in the dark from childhood are hard pressed to find their place in the work of the world. But the man suddenly stricken blind is another Samson, bound, helpless, dependent until a way is found to unchain him. Try to imagine how you would feel if you lost your sight tomorrow. Picture yourself stumbling and groping at noonday as in the night, your work, your independence gone. In that dark hour, wouldn't your heart cry out for a friend to teach you how to live in the dark? That is just the kind of friend the American Foundation will be to all the blind if people with sight will only give it the support it must have. Adequately financed, it will help the blind in every emergency of their lives. You have heard how I was taught. 
how a little word from the fingers of another, a ray of light from another soul touched the darkness of my mind. And I found myself, found the world, and found God. It is because my teacher cared about me and broke through the dark, silent imprisonment which held me that I am able to work for myself and for others. If you care, if we can make the people of this great country care, the blind will triumph over blindness. This is the opportunity I offer you, Lions, to foster and sponsor the work of the American Foundation for the Blind. Will you not help me hasten the day when there shall be no preventable blindness, no little deaf blind child untaught, no blind man or woman unaided? I appeal to you, lions, you who have your sight, your hearing, you who are strong and brave and kind. Will you not constitute yourself knights of the blind in my crusade against darkness? Helen Keller. It's quite a speech. It's very interesting uh, when we listen to the words of uh, a speech written almost 100 years ago. There, there are some parts of it that might surprise us. I, I think the flirty tone that Helen adopts toward the lines in her first paragraph, where she uh, assumes the identity of Lady Opportunity and is almost is almost uh, uh, fl- uh, batting her eyelids at uh, at the lines, uh, daring them to uh, to come over to her side of the of the room. And then, of course, she uses all sorts of language of disability that we would maybe not use today, uh, certainly inciting pity, uh, uh, almost what some people call inspiration porn. Uh, I don't think I think maybe that's a little harsh, uh, but but she is not afraid to instill uh, their to, to gain their sympathy, to gain their pity, uh, to try to get uh, uh, the lines to support her. But the end result of this speech is that the lines do adopt blindness and blind causes at the local level, at the regional level, at the national level uh, to um, to support those causes. Local blinds clubs, national, the last national lines clubs, they all take on blindness as a cause. And the impact has been amazing. Um, first, we have funds to produce Braille books, funds to record books. The Lions Club has supplied long canes and radios and typewriters and all sorts of other modern appliances for people that are blind or visually impaired. The Lions Club has arranged all all sorts of entertainments, uh, special trips to the theater, uh, for music, for plays. Uh, they've organized picnics. They've created summer camps for blind kids. They have paid college tuition for college students. Uh, endlessly organized and supported eye clinics and all sorts of other medical services. In fact, when uh, just a few years later after this, the uh, the uh, AFB began uh, uh, 
doing a lot of uh, information gathering on the causes of blindness for kids in the residential schools for the blind, they discovered that lots of kids had never seen an eye doctor and that when uh, they were actually seen by an eye doctor, lots of kids had uh, uh, the causes of their blindness was actually reversible or their, their vision could be improved. And routinely, the blinds clubs would pay for those medical procedures or doctors who were members of the Lions Club would give away their services uh, to kids that were blind for free. Um, the Lions Clubs also supported all sorts of local agencies serving the blind at every level and just became a reliable and uh, enthusiastic partner for all sorts of endeavors. Now, um, we know a lot about the Army uh, Rehabilitation Centers that were uh, developed during and after World War II. But did you know that the first civilian rehabilitation center to open after World War II opened in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1947 with support from, yep, the Lions Clubs? Um, we know a lot about the creation of the Seeing Eye, uh, the first dog training program in the United States in Nashville. But did you know that the second U.S. dog school, Leader Dogs for the Blind, which was created in Rochester, Minnesota, was and is heavily supported by the Lions Clubs in the Midwest. And finally, uh, if you have a white cane in your hand or you used a white cane today, a lot of credit for the white cane can be laid at the feet of the Lions Clubs. A local Lions Club in Peoria, uh, Illinois in 1930 started giving out those white safety canes. And they are the ones in their little local area who got the first white cane safety law passed. And then the Lions Clubs worked across the country to uh, initiate the national white cane safety law movement. And at the same time to uh, put white canes, you know, what you would think of as an identity cane, not really a mobility cane, but a, uh, the white uh, cane. Uh, and so, you know, uh, free passage across roads and right-of-ways in the United States, it, you know, is it can be attributed to the Lions Club. And we could go on and on and on about the all of the, the things that the Lions Club have done to support uh, blindness agencies in their local areas. And I'm sure many of you all have stories like that. And so that that's my story. Um, it's a it's 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 one that starts out as a fundraising effort uh, on behalf of the American Foundation for the Blind, but ends up uh, with uh, those fateful words uh, from Helen Keller. Of course, she's a great speech writer and a great, uh, you know, a great uh, communicator. And, and it made a huge difference. So um, uh, now I would love it if anybody out there uh, has any questions about anything I've talked about or Keller or the Lions Clubs, I'd like to open it up now and take some questions.
Hello, Michael. It's Mitch and Donna Pomerantz here in Pasadena. Hey, guys. And uh, one of the first clubs that Michael presented to was our Pasadena Host Lions Club well over a year ago. And uh, that was one of the few good things that came out of having virtual meetings. But I've got to tell you, Michael, there's a there's a gentleman in our club and uh, named, named Dick Caston. Dick is in his uh, probably early 80s, who uh, still works. He still sells real estate in the Pasadena area. But to this day, Dick will come up to me and tell me how wonderful your presentation was and thank me. Uh, I was program chair at the time, and of course, Donna was president, and uh, she is again this year. But but uh, he comes and says, Mitch, that was a wonderful presentation that that made, man made about Helen Keller. And I just wanted you to know that, uh, that Dick still remembers it fondly and reminds me of it uh, from time to time. So uh, another great performance, another great presentation, and, uh, and you're the best. And at some point, uh, I, I hope to get back to Louisville. I haven't been there in three or four years. Hope we get a chance to come back and actually, uh, actually tour the museum uh, when it was still at AFB. Um, I was read the letter that uh, that Helen Keller wrote. I think subsequent to the uh, to her Lions uh, presentation. But I hope to get a chance to uh, to talk to you again uh, and get back to Louisville at some point in the future. So you take care. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mitch. That that was uh, I loved that. That was a great talk. And and one of the things that impressed me uh, about your club uh, was, you know, and I was talking with someone earlier about this. You know, a lot of times, you know, we get up every day and we go do our thing, whatever our thing is, because we've always done it. Right. And uh, the thing that impressed me about your club was like, as I, as I talked to them about Helen and, and her speech and uh, lines for the, for the blind, they, they, it was like, they got it. You know, this is why we're doing this thing. This important thing that we've spent so much time and energy and money on. This is why we're doing it. That's the roots of it. And uh, I, I really enjoyed my, my, my talk with your group. uh, We definitely, we definitely enjoyed having you. And, and I had asked you to tell some stories that weren't, common knowledge and you did that thank you and, and we all learned a lot thank that's great that's great and and by the way if you guys come uh, come to the museum in louisville i'll tell you some more stories that nobody knows <laughs> sharon starkowski you can unmute good afternoon um i was fascinated by this presentation can you hear me okay yes ma'am yes, okay. um and what really struck me was um, the difference between the first piece that you wrote, uh, read from Helen about how uncomfortable she could be in these strange situations, and then how polished that speech was um, to the lions. And I wondered whether um, all the things about, you know, bringing us out of the dark was something she really believed, because that's what the belief was then, or was it a pity thing? Um, and my second question is, I have an impression that in some parts of the country right now, blindness is not the primary focus of alliance. Uh, they're not, they don't always jump to 
uh, support blind people. They've ha- taken on a lot of other causes. And I'd like to hear your comments on that. Thank you. Sure. Those are both excellent questions. Your, your first question is about, it's kind of about language. Uh, I, I, I also, Sharon, find, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you d- dig down into Helen when she's talking about her experiences, uh, you know, having to go into a room full of strangers and, and ask them for money, it, it obviously made her deeply uncomfortable. But she was, she did it, you know, she put on her big, big girl pants and she went in and did it and, and, and delivered these amazing polished speeches. Uh, as far as her language goes, if you will look at biographies by people that are blind or visually impaired, you know, say from 1900 to 1950, they commonly, you know, like the title of the book is often this thing like out of darkness, you know, sight in the shadows, uh, you know, it's just this common iconography is the best word I can use that it's commonly used that, and, and you, you, you wouldn't see people talk that way today. Um, I, I think she's definitely tugging on their heartstrings and she's using language, the, you know, language of, of, of pity, but she also, what she's also saying is help us, help us make it possible for people who are blind or vision impaired to have normal lives to aspire to do things so that, so that you won't have to pity them. If, if that makes any sense. And of course she herself is an amazing example of capability, right? She's, she's in their face right there in the room with, you know, a, a, you know, a, a crowd full of people showing them, you know, what, what is possible for somebody who, who has, uh, who's who's given uh, some accommodations? Um, your second question is more dicey, and I can't say that I can actually respond to the substance of whether or not Lions clubs around the country are not uh, uh, focused as much on blindness. But this is what I would think that what Helen would say: if that's true, then representatives from the blind community need to go talk to representatives from the Lions Club on a national level, the same way that she went and talked to them. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say. Nora, you can unmute. Yeah. Um, hello. I'm already unmuted, but yes. mm-hmm. I guess my mm-hmm. question is, uh, what is, uh, what is, uh, uh, I've read a story about Helen Keller and a kind of read her autobiography and it was interesting and her biography basically and and I loved it and but my question is uh when uh when was what year did the uh um was it nineteen seventeen that was uh, I heard it's nineteen seventeen that the lions were founded. Yeah, the lines were founded in 1917, and she spoke to them in 1925, or 1924, 1924. It's 1924, yeah. Erica 314-769, you can unmute. Hello. Hello. Hello, this is uh, Rick Belcher from St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Rick. And, okay, uh, first of all, I want to say this. And I'll tell you something from what for what it's worth. I was a trainee at uh, Lions World Services for the Blind, which had one time been known as 
Arkansas Enterprises for the Blind, and now it's World Services for the Blind. Okay. And I'll say this for I will say this for what it's worth. If it weren't for Lions World, I wouldn't be talking to you right here on this phone. Right. Um, they worked me in getting independence. We, I kind of say, I would say they saved my life. Yes. And and also, uh, I met two very special people. One of them sighted. One of them was blind. One of them that uh, we were married for two years, uh, two months, and then she died in uh, two thousand. She was from St. Louis. And also, my fiance, um, uh, uh, which uh, this she came along in another uh, back in the late nineties, and we uh, went together. Well, uh, started going together just a couple of years ago. Uh, I met her in the uh, around nineteen ninety five. 94 around in there and we lost contact with each other and at the convention the the national convention of the american council of the blind here in st louis the two of us connected there uh when we had the convention there at uh here in st louis and we started been going together ever since and so we got engaged uh, this year, and there's going to be a bunch of happy times ahead of us. Well, congratulations. That's a great story. That's great. Suzanne, you can unmute. My name is Suzanne Amend, and I'm a newcomer to ACBL. Uh, I've been a black um, a lion for a number of years, since 2002, in the Blacksburg, Virginia Breakfast Club. So, um, I've been a part of the ACB teachers group, but I just sort of discovered the lions thanks to Carla and talking to her. So um, I'm that's great. Getting interested in knowing you all. Um, I'm really fascinated by that conversation you had about the two different letters with, I think it was Sharon. Um, I think it's really interesting that she could, she could have both opinions at the same time. And I, I find myself doing that sometimes if I'm, if I'm in a, presentation situation I'm, I'm pretty calm and pretty confident but if I end up in a reception or something like that I'm much less so that way and I wonder if that's what she was referring to in her different um different roles as it were yeah two different feelings about your position and uh, and and being pawed over to Suzanne yes because everybody wanted to touch her creep me out <laughs> and, and and bear in mind that you know i mean she's not just deaf but also blind i mean not just blind but also deaf yeah, and yeah. so you know the communication is coming is all being translated through uh either annie or lady later polly thompson and you know she's constant you know she's she's got to be on right she's got to be helen keller right you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? She's got to be the the myth. Yes, she's a celebrity. Yes, that's her role. That's yeah. her role. And yeah. so, uh, uh, so she you know, could be the presenter, she could be the guest or she could be the celebrity. So it's and she's got to be all that. And, and, and she's got to be charming and, and smile, even though she might be exhausted. 
Like there, there are some stories in the archives of like being caught in a railroad station and all these little ladies, they all descend upon her and they all want to touch her. They all want her to write her name in Braille on something they she give that they give her, you know, they all want a piece of her. Uh, and so, you know, she's, she's a big star and, uh, and, and, you know, somehow or other she manages to, not all of our celebrities manage to emerge from that with their reputations intact, right? Sooner or later they, they crack <laughs> and their true personality comes out, but, but that doesn't, that doesn't happen to Helen. She, she, she gives people a little piece of herself again and again and again. Karen, you can unmute. Karen Campbell. It, yeah, it is real interesting. Um, the contrast with her, and I know there's a. I can tell you there's a lot of controversy in the deaf blind community about her too. I guess because because um. I guess because of how she was portrayed. Mm-hmm. Karen, do you think that, I mean, it's sometimes it's hard for us, you know, a hundred years later to look back on uh, the way people spoke, the way people talked. Uh, we, we tend to judge them by our modern sensibilities, don't we? Raymond, you can unmute. Yeah, this has been very interesting. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C. area. And uh, and someone that spoke about the Lions Club had got somewhat away from what their mission of being blind. And I am totally blind, and they do do a great job. They have a uh, a summer camp uh, called Merit in uh, Maryland that uh, the blind groups go to during the summer for a whole week, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's interesting. But but what but what, what I like to ask you in terms of where we are today. In terms of, uh, and it's a wonderful thing that we have the Blind ACB Club and the other clubs around that uh, blind people are uh, leadership roles. But but beyond that, um, what what would you say that the day Helen Keller would champion? I, I won't say champion, but what would you say just from um, you you going through the thing? Get sure, the sure. She will see today where blindness and deafness uh, is, and not in excluding technology, or you could add technology. Right. But what would you say she would, how she would view today? And well, we- I'll, I'll tell you this, Raymond. Think about the events of the last two years and what we as a country uh, have been talking about in terms of race and diversity and inclusion, okay? I think Helen Keller would be at the forefront of that conversation because she was a champion for human rights, Uh, the rights of women, the rights of uh, people, regardless of their skin color, the rights of uh, people with disabilities. And I think she would be pressing the envelope. She would not be content to stand on the periphery of the conversation. She would be poking her nose into it. 
she would be writing, she would be speaking, and she would be demanding action. That's what I think Helen Keller would be doing right now. Michael O'Brien, you can unmute. Uh, just a, a couple of things. First of all, what I think is amazing about uh, AFB, uh, and this has to do with Helen Keller, I think, uh, not long after they were founded, they had that that they built that building in New York that they were in for years. And, and they're not I don't think they're headquartered in New York anymore. I think they're headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, aren't they? That's right. You're talking about the building on West 15th Street. Yes. Uh, uh, 15 West 16th Street. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was built in the 20s, I think. So and I suspect the reason. Uh Oh, Michael, I think I muted you. I'm sorry. He wasn't that bad, was he, Danette? (laughs) 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 I thought he was great. I was wondering what that where that question was going. So, uh, um, you can raise your hand again, Michael, and we'll get back. Yeah, let's to get you. Michael back in here if we can. Yeah, we can hear you. You were you were talking about them building the building and yeah, were, and and yeah. and it was amazing that so that's that uh, in such a short period of time after its founding that that building was put up, and I, I suspect that had much to do with Helen Keller. Is that do you think that's true? Not building. I mean, they needed the building to accomplish three things. Okay, back back in those days, their three pillars were to be the information distribution center, to be the source of research, right, and to be the advocate. Okay, and they also they also made things, you know, supply and sold. That was part of the research. That was part of the research thing, right? So they needed a building for all that. But they needed money, a lot of money to do that. That's where yeah. Helen and Annie come in. It's, I'm, you know, they were able to raise a lot of money and do it quickly. I, I, and I'm just amazed that they were able to build such an, an edifice as, uh, in such a short time after their founding because they were a young, mm-hmm. young organization. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other thing is a controversy that arose on a list about Helen uh, years ago. Um, and Helen uh, was involved in all the all the causes of her time. It seemed um, I I don't know if she got involved in the the immigration uh, thing, uh, but she got involved in everything else. And one of the ones allegedly she was involved in was eugenics. Yes, yeah. When she was younger, she wrote uh, some stuff that's 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 very controversial about about eugenics essentially should people with disabilities reproduce right Mm -hmm. um and of course she was talking about uh uh, people with congenital uh um, disabilities um and i you know i don't michael i'm going to tell you i'm not an expert on that part i know that that conversation took place in her in her writings and i think we ought to explore it yeah, that's what I see. That's what I think, because, you know, it's one thing people confuse eugenics as the end versus the means, uh, which were horrible. Horrific. That people were, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, look at uh, there are a lot of things that are good ends, but if you use the wrong means to accomplish them and people get the two f- confused. Uh, so what I, I'm saying I would is, also say, Michael, that uh, if if I look at your writing when you were 20 and what you yep. were writing about when you were 20 
and yeah. what you write about now, I bet they're very different things. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is I wonder – it would be interesting to know what she actually said about eugenics versus making all these comments that people make yes. and comparing her to the Nazis and everything else. And- well, I'll tell you what. If Carla will invite me ne- next year, I'll, I'll talk about it. I'll I'll do a little research. I'll pull it together into a story, and I'll I'll come back and share it with you guys. And and I'm sure I I'm glad I came to this rather than the other thing I was going to go to, which I will get to eventually. Both good good, good uh, seminars, but uh, man, uh, I have to I have to second and third what everybody else is saying. You you gave gave and are giving a wonderful presentation as you always have, and I hope also someday to get back to the museum in Louisville. Well, I hope to see you. I hope to see you. Thank you. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what the topic is. If if Mike prepares a presentation on it, you know it's going to be good. <laughs> and, and and I and I just want to ask because I think it fits right here. Um, and and I'm not trying to push ahead of people with their hands up, but I don't want to lose this train of thought. Um, you know, with with all of the cancel culture that's going on right now, um, there's been some talk about well let's cancel Helen Keller because people some people say well she couldn't have been real that has to be made up and uh, of course I think we 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 know she was pretty real but uh um I do find that interesting that you know if 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 you don't think that you could have done that kind of thing. Well, then surely nobody else could have either. Yeah, I'm staggered. I'm that- staggered by that, Carla. Uh, I know. It, it I seems know. to come from kids, uh, and it uh, some of it is people having trouble. It's a failure of imagination. Yes. And, and you know, and and Helen talked about you know that you know uh, you know life without vision, and when she wasn't talking about physical sight, she was talking about mental sight, right? Imagination mm-hmm. and. People are, uh, uh, and, and, and it comes from basic ignorance, you know, uh, about what is possible for anybody faced with a disability. And, and, and all you, you know, you learn a few techniques, right? Uh, right. Go, to an, go to a rehabilitation center. And, you know, in the first six weeks, they're going to show you a bunch of techniques to do things you thought were impossible. But they're not, <laughs> they're not even hard, it's just using a different technique. And that's what Helen was doing all her life was just doing it, doing the same thing that other people did, but doing it with a different technique, but doing it equally as elegantly and uh, easily, uh, but just doing it in a different way. And it's just a failure of imagination. And uh, we, we all uh, in this community have a responsibility to educate and change attitudes uh, about what's possible and, and that it's not, none of these things are rocket science, right? Now we have rocket scientists in the blood community. Those are amazing people. I'm just talking about being able to do ordinary things like walk, talk, eat, you know, dress yourself. Right. Yeah. Area code two, one, five, last three, six, 40. You can unmute. Good evening, Betty Passanati here. I'm glad to Hi. be here. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly glad to be. Uh, Mike, you know what? I, mi- I sort of forgot. You mentioned three things that the lions did. You mentioned leader dogs and the white cane. I forget what the first thing, thing was. They, um, they founded or helped fund the first 
non-military civilian oh, rehabilitation center. Oh, right. Oh, that's pretty heavy. That's, in Arkansas that's, in 1947. That's, that's, really, that's really amazing. When Ms. Keller made that speech, which she, would she have spoken with her own voice or through Ms. Sullivan? She was speaking. She had she had taught herself to speak. No kidding. I, yes. I, now I heard she thought her she even herself thought that her speech was not the most intelligible. Was it intelligible enough to be understood, or was it, part of it maybe reinterpreted? It, it was not great. It right. was not great. But it, it coming from a person who had been deaf and blind most of her life, that acquiring speech is a is not oh, an know. easy skill. I can yeah, but, but how? how if, but but those words were going to be important. How do the members? How was it, how was their audience able to get the impact of what she was saying? I'm going to have to admit to you that I searched the newspaper res, uh, reports uh, yesterday and the day before yesterday to treat, see if I could find that. And you know how uh, President Roosevelt, you know, who was in a wheelchair a lot of his life, but the reporters never reported it that way. Right. Right. That's I think a little bit of that is going on in the way these the way that her her speeches are being reported, because there's not a lot in there about, you know, yeah, the great Helen Keller came, but we couldn't understand a word she said, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Annie is standing right there beside her the whole time mm -hmm. uh, and able to interpret anything that might be unintelligible. But, you know, okay. I, I just on a bigger answer to your question is that people found that if they spent enough time with her, that she was perfectly intelligible. Oh, oh I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure that if you really got to know her. absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, at first you know. blush, I think you're, you're right. But 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 we don't know. I, I don't yeah, know. But, Anyways, maybe somebody out there does, has read more but, about it than I have. Just quickly, I don't see the language as necessarily pitying. I mean, first of, first of all, I understand that part of her thing with language is that all she could do was read, which she, you know, read voraciously. Yes. Things yes. were read to her, she read real. So she didn't really have the ability to, I mean, she was, she was interpreted for and all that, but she didn't have the ability to participate in really free conversation. Yes. So yes. she might, uh, they, I had her, I read That's a book a where her language point. was a bit hard, archaic because, because she read so much. And of course, in those days, the writing was flowery and all yes. that and she was educated yes. in the classics and yes that That's, kind of thing but she yeah. is amazing at turning a phrase though i mean she's yes oh yes the mind I, was there Goodness. yeah i find her her prose just to be amazing and yes yes and indeed and then there's a lady talk about braille braille was besides annie's work braille opened her eyes ears and everything braille gave her the world yes you know? Yes. That, that's, uh, yeah, that's, one of the cool, one of the, the, I find one of the most fascinating things that we have, and I just put it out on display in a, a new museum exhibit that we installed on Helen, is her Braille writer. And so the keys on that Braille writer, you know, that's holy ground. <laughs> <laughs> Those wonderful fingers caressing that Braille writer, and how you're so right, how essential Braille was to Helen Keller. We and have by, about yeah. 10 more minutes, and we have eight more hands. Okay, I'll be quick. <laughs> Kevin, you can unmute. Awesome, cool. Thank you for this great um, history. Uh, discussion. Um, I'm curious if there are any uh, like sample or like recordings of how she like whether speeches or kind of presentations that there are. There are Kevin. 
I'll, I'll oh. tell you what, I'm going to give out my email address. And if anybody wants a link to uh, uh, some of Helen actually talking, I'll email it to you. So I'm going to give it to you. Everybody ready? It's M-H-U-D-S-O-N at A-P-H dot org. M-Hudson at A-P-H dot org. Email me and I'll send you the link to that. Next question. Mary Carla Hayes, you can unmute. Hello. I really enjoy all of your presentations. And I think Carla Rushevel is going to have you answer one of my questions. And that is um, on the APH website, is there, um, have the um, exhibits, um, um, are there any talking histories of any of the exhibits there yet? And um, more articles about this. And the other question I had real quickly was, one of the big problems with the Lions Clubs today is like other civic organizations, it's very difficult to get younger people involved. And I know our local one is going to die out. It's like the Grange. And I was wondering if you, <laughs> what Helen would say as far as um, how, what um, those of us in the blindness community could do to help um, get more interest um, to the Lions Clubs. And, and again, thank you for your wonderful presentation. Thank you. On, as far as your first question goes, we're working really hard to get more resources on our website. Uh, so there are some online exhibits there that do have audio, um, but what we're not nearly enough, and 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 we have big plans to do more. The, the, your second question is really hard. I'm not going to speak for Helen. Well, I probably could if I wanted to, but I'm not going to do it because. Uh, but I would say that that. The way that we as a people, big we, Americans, organize ourselves is going to change over time. And so the Lions Club arose uh, in, seven, in 1917 because there were these businessmen out there who were already meeting, but they, they just felt empty. It wasn't enough. OK, I have faith in our country, and I believe that if our institutions you know, if 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 service clubs and 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 the Grange and those sorts of things, if those start to die, I, I believe that that new groups of people will come together and rise. And 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 so, you know, from, from the from the perspective of people who are disabled, we just need to be living in our community, and we need to be talking to those institutions that arise now. And we also need to strengthen our traditional institutions like the Lions Clubs. Next, Doug, you can unmute. I have. Thank you. Yeah. I, have, I have two very quick comments I wanted to make. One, uh, as a kid, would you believe I met, I think I met Helen Keller. Did uh, you? She was on her way from New York out to the National Center. I was attending a rehabilitation program in Patchogue, New York, and she and her assistant stopped by and I got to meet her and she did talk. Yes. Um, yes. It was hard to understand her. Her assistant actually was there to repeat what she said if people had understood. Yes. But I was yes. a kid. I didn't understand the opportunity that I had. <laughs> oh, we, we blow I it a lot, Doug. Yes, we the, blow it. We blow that a lot when we're a kid. You the, know, yes, yeah, some old lady is here, Doug. Uh, I, I figure she her? was. I figure she's just kind of an old lady that couldn't talk. But, <laughs> uh, but and then later I heard how, how wonderful she was. The other thing I want to quickly mention, I've joined the Lions Clubs. Um, I'd like to go back to the challenge that Helen gave to the Lions back in 1925 
and challenge that all Lions Clubs take on the talking book program in this country as a project, as a program that we need to push just like she um, want, she asked the Lions to do with blindness. Yes. And that's the, pro- that's the primary project our Lions Club, the Daytona-Halifax Area Lions Club, is doing. And we are trying to get other Lions Clubs in Florida. And li- I'd like to see Lions all over the country to promote a program that needs to grow. Uh, well, less the, Lions, ten- the Lions Clubs historically have changed lives. And so that's essentially what you're calling on them to do is to ch- yes. continue to change lives. Less than 10% of people who could use talk books even know about it. I'd like to see the Lions reach out and work to make sure that's successful. Good plan. Next. Area code 502-472. You can unmute. This is Adam Rushville in Louisville. Uh-oh, there's and, trouble. Uh, well, you're right, Mike. <laughs> um, I w- want to mention the fact about the uh, Lions World uh, Center in Arkansas. Um, there was a Lion, Thinus Davis, who was born in a small town in Arkansas, and I'm ashamed that I cannot remember uh, where it was, but uh, he had a major hand in developing and starting that uh, rehab center in Little Rock. Um, and he then uh, came to the American Printing House for the Blind in 1948 and was president of the Printing House for about 28 years. And he was in my Lions Club, uh, so I, I got to be with him for over 20 years. But in 1960, he was uh, elected to become, the I think, the 44th president of Lions Clubs International which meant that our Lions Club for many years, 40 years, had an international past president. And that's very uh, uh, important considering out of the 104 years and all the millions of Lions members that have been part of Lions Clubs in that time, that he was one of only about 104 presidents of the Lions Clubs International. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think we have another hand. Area code 978. Um, I've asked you to unmute. Are you unmuted? Yes, this is Karen from Lemonster, Massachusetts. And Lions Clubs, I found out, out about them when I was uh, about nine years old. They, I think they founded or they had a hand in founding um, Camp Allen in New Hampshire, Anna Reed Surrey, New Hampshire. And um, they used to come every year and with Christmas in July and the Lions picnics and stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. as an adult, I also went to Lions, Lions World to learn independent living skills. My question is, um, how much of an influence did the Lions Club have on promoting the talking book program when it began in the 1930s, I don't. I don't actually know from the 30s, but I do know that historically, clubs, uh, both individual local clubs and the national club, 
have been uh, big funders for uh, audiobooks and Braille books. And uh, you can find lots of examples of that. But as far as how much what they did uh, in the 30s at the very beginning of talking books, I, I don't I don't I'm not familiar with that one. Kamako from Hawaii. Oh, there we are. OK, you can unmute. Hello. 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 Um, I actually had three different comments. So my first one is, have you ever heard of the Hawaiian Association of the Blind? Just, I know very little about them. Because their website claims that they have a lot of information on Helen Keller. Uh-huh. So you might um, want to find more information there. Great. Great. And then another one I had was I actually heard a YouTube video of what she sounded like. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm going to send out. When, when If anybody emails me, I'll send them the link to that YouTube video. Which she didn't sound half bad, though. <laughs> well, I, bear in mind, though, that, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the one that ends up being recorded is going to be the most practiced, right? Yes. That's not her just speaking That's off true. the top of her head. She probably practiced it many times before they actually recorded it. Mike, on that topic, um, I don't know if others remember or not, but uh, it seems like I remember as a child seeing her on television and remembering how her speech did. I mean, as a kid, I had a hard time. You did. Yeah. 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 I think it was I think it was one of those things where if you spend a lot of time with her, it, you, you just got to where you understood uh, it, it was not a problem. But if you only saw her every now and then, then, yeah, it, it, it wasn't. But I mean, the, the fact that she through just self-discipline and determination, you know, was to she was determined she was going to teach herself how to speak. Right. Mike, we we just have in, in, in one or two minutes. Um, could you just give people uh, who they are, are not here in Louisville, but just um, uh, the top five, the top five uh, artifacts that are at APH that relate to Helen Keller? Sure, that's a hard question. I know but I would, it. <laughs> I would say that you know we have a, a a bronze casting of her hands that was done in the 1930s that I find fascinating because it allows me to touch Helen Keller's hands. Uh, I would say her Braille writer is one of the highlights. Uh, of course, there are thousands and thousands of documents. One of my favorites is the telegram that she wrote to Adolf Hitler in 1933, basically telling him that uh, history would remember him poorly. <laughs> That's a summary. That's a summary. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, just the other day, uh, I, I had in my hands a incense burner that was given to her directly by the Empress of Japan. And of course, there are lots of different gifts that she was given by various dignitaries. Um, her graduation robes from uh, the various places that gave her honorary doctorates are in the collection, along with all of her diplomas, uh, you know, uh, manuscript pages from her books that were destroyed in the fire 
uh, at Arcan Ridge in 1947. And so somebody, you know, went around the property and picked up all these burnt pages and put them together. And they're, they're you know, I th- I, it's just an amazing thing to see one of these, um, you know, uh, manuscript pages of one of her books that she typed up on her typewriter that was burned around the edges. Just amazing. Uh, so that's just a quick, quick Okay, Just a few we good do ones. have one person who is unmuted who has not spoken yet. Okay. Pamela, if you can make it quick, go ahead. Hi. Hi, um, Pam. I'm from, I'm from the state of New Jersey, and we just celebrated Helen Keller Deafblind Awareness a Week here in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And she was instrumental in the starting of the New Jersey Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired. At the age of 27, she came here to New Jersey to the home of a woman by the name of um, Sarah Churchill, uh-huh. who was also a person who was blind. And she did she uh, gave testimony to the New Jersey State Legislature, which was how the Commission for the Blind in the state of New Jersey got founded. But she also came to New Jersey in 1913. And that was the first time that she spoke audibly at a school in Montclair. That's that's great. Well, you, you know, when Helen showed up, uh, she got things done. And so there, that story is a familiar one where she will go and speak to the, you know, speak to the powers that be. And they are they she just has this magic that they, you know, a lot of times they are the eager to, to try and see what they can do to make Miss Helen happy. So that is great. I've enjoyed myself immensely. I want to thank everybody for letting me spend some time with ACB uh, this evening. And uh, as you can tell, it's one of my favorite subjects, and I love talking to this group. Are you ready for the ending? Thank you, Mike. We certainly appreciate you being with us uh, in just a minute. We certainly appreciate you being with us tonight and, and answering all these questions. And I'm sure that most people like as as I are interested in hearing the next part of the story. Okay, let's do it. So thank you again for being here. <clears throat> I just want to remind people that if you wish to become part of ACB Lions, that uh, our dues are $15 a year. You can find out more about joining ACB Lions. We meet the first Thursday of the month at 8.30 p.m. on Zoom and on are welcome. You do not have to be a lion to be part of ACB Lions. So you can contact me. I am the immediate past president now. As of a few days ago, um, my number is 502-897-1472. And Danette, if you would please give our ending code, I would appreciate it. The ending CEU code is 65605. Again, that is six. Okay, and thanks to everyone for coming. Thanks to Danette for being our host, and thanks to John for for streaming for us. We appreciate everyone who has been here and who has participated in making this a great session. Thanks to everyone.